Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita, and I'll have what she's having. I'm Ned Baker, and I wrote that pesto is the quiche of the 80s. The way this podcast works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film mini-series starring an actor we love, and then sometimes we randomly take a two-month hiatus without really telling anyone that that was what we were going to do. So, Surprise. Ned, how was your time off from, from our podcast? Oh, I mean, it was it was bittersweet. Uh, I missed doing the podcast, but um, time was nice. I, I've really, I mean, I've had a, a very relaxing uh, two months or so. Um, yes. Yeah, I've had, I saw my family. I got to travel a little bit. I have not gotten sick, so I, I call it an absolute W. Yes, I had a little bit more of a roller coaster experience. <laughs> I might have been low key, sort of having a nervous breakdown in the background of our James Dean and Jeffrey Wright series, which may or may not have partially led to us taking some time off from the podcast, but. A couple of panic attacks later, and here we are. You know, I am feeling much better. New year, new me. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. Sure, but I'm yes, I'm feeling I'm feeling much better than I was. But I will say that sort of the stress of end of the year did sort of inspire us to do a slight pivot from our original plan for this podcast. We had a different actor in mind for our next mini series, but because I was just sort of feeling a little overwhelmed. I really wanted to go to movies that I find comforting and also movies that I just already know a lot about. <laughs> so I didn't feel the pressure sure. to do a bunch of additional research. And one thing I know a lot about is romantic comedies and specifically the queen of the rom-coms herself, Meg Ryan. So I thought that would be a fun one to kickstart the new year with. Um, and we're going to start with her like breakout leading lady debut in what I would say is arguably the greatest romantic comedy ever made when Harry met Sally. Mm. But Ned, I don't know if we've ever really talked about this before, but like what is your relationship to romantic comedies? To all, oh, to the general to, like, genre, the genre of rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Um, pro, I'm pro rom-com. Um, I mean, it's it's funny I just feel kind of like, you know, like LeBron James is coming up being like, so dude, do you like to play basketball? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, I like, or, or whatever the like, you know, some. Is this scholar- a metaphor where I am LeBron James? Yeah, you're LeBron James in this situation. Wow. Or maybe, maybe you're like, maybe a more accurate thing would be like, you know, you're an ESPN newscaster and you're like, so do you mm-hmm. ever watch sports? And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I do. Do you want my opinions on them? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I like rom-coms a lot. Uh, I think, as you generally do, they are a, sort of a much maligned genre. Although maybe mm-hmm. maybe less now. Maybe the world is waking up from that benighted sort of sexist opinion that rom-coms are like generally a lesser genre. Um, I mean, I think there's some bad rom-coms out there for sure. Uh, maybe a whole bunch because I mean, particularly now that like, now that in the past couple of years I've come to understand the like the Christmas rom com industry, which like mm-hmm. I just didn't even realize the volume at which, like, movies that are sort of like somewhere between what you would recognize as a movie and a soap <laughs> opera, uh, yes. from a production standpoint, your Hallmark channels, yeah, exactly. your princess switches. So I think that like maybe because they can be done on the cheap, there's a there's a great volume of like 
kind of bad rom-coms. Sure. Like maybe, but but like the you know the greatest rom-coms are some of the greatest films of all time, and it's also a genre that kind of has constancy and staying power. Like we've just, I feel like mm. we've had rom-coms in every era again now i'm saying something i'm like what if caroline's like no that's ludicrous you know no you're spot on you're spot on with everything you're saying is this was this like an opinion did you have any of this sort of ingrained sexist like i'm a teen boy i have to reject girly romantic comedy hundred percent hundred percent so you were you were on it you went on a journey to sort of Mm -hmm. get where you are today yes i was i definitely as a teenager you know probably sort of dismissed the genre i i mean i wasn't like I wasn't as deep in that, like, I don't know, chick flick uh, mythos. I wasn't as deep as, as maybe some of my male friends in the idea that, like, there's shit for boys and shit for girls. Don't mm-hmm. get it twisted. But um, but I definitely, like, didn't appreciate rom-coms in the same way I feel I do now, including the one we're going to discuss today. Mm-hmm. Well, so my relationship to rom-coms, as Ned has sort of like alluded to, but I don't know if we've ever actually talked about this on the podcast, mm-hmm. but I write a column about romantic comedy. A so monumental column. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I've been writing it every other week for the past four years. I think this February is my four-year anniversary for the AV Club. The column is called When Romance Met Comedy. So I have covered, I mean, I think I end up doing about 25 a year. So I have covered like, I guess, 100 <laughs> movies. Is that possible? Yeah. It's totally I've possible. A, I've written a lot. And some of them are romantic comedies. Some of them are like a look at a whole genre or like a franchise or mm-hmm. so Yeah, more movies than columns yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yes, I would say that in as much as someone can be a sort of self-taught rom-com expert, I'm at least heading in that direction. <laughs> I mean, they say ten thousand hours is mastery, right? You've spent at least 10,000 hours watching uh, yeah. and writing about and thinking about rom-coms. I mean, I would think I would have to. And I have master. always been been thank you so much. I've always been a rom-com lover. I never I think, you know, I think as much as as like teen boys can have a stereotypical like rejecting girly things experience. I actually think sometimes like teen girls can have that too where it's like I want to set myself apart and not like the cool girly thing and you know, like something more alternative. Absolutely. I never really had that like it was never a problem for me personally to feel like i like the sci-fi and the superhero and the big explosive like quote-unquote boy stuff but i also really like the really girly stuff too and i think in a way it's because like to me like superheroes and rom-coms they're like the same thing they're like hit the same like pleasure buttons in my mind of like heightened fantasy Mm -hmm. so it's not like i'm like looking at rom-coms as like some realistic depiction of life and love that i'm aiming towards it's just like a heightened genre that yeah intersects in real life to real life in the same way that like sci-fi can intersect with real life Mm -hmm. but i don't think of them as as a realistic depiction of real life and i think a lot of fans of the genre would kind of say the same thing Mm -hmm. but it does hit you know it, it it can feel emotionally real but definitely you know, it it does what all sort of like dramatizing of stuff does. It you know sort of refracts it through a a larger than life sort of lens. Mm-hmm. It's a heightened world, totally. And I love me a heightened world. And I think you're spot on to say that rom coms have always been around. I sort of like 
think that Shakespeare is probably the one who solidified sort of like, I don't know, the four to five main types of romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you have your much ado style romantic comedies where it's like oil and water, enemies to lovers. You have your Midsummer Night's Eve where it's just like everything's like wild and crazy. Total sex chaos. Yeah, losing their mind. And you have like Twelfth Night where it's more like, oh, somebody has to hide their identity or there's a, you know, an... subterfuge of some kind and then you have people like jane austen who are really like solidifying a lot of these tropes and then once you get into film you sort of have these diff i would say each sort of like decade loosely sort of has its own style of romantic comedies and so you have like the screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s and a lot of musicals in the 50s and you sort of have the doris day rock hudson stuff in the um 1960s and Woody Allen's really big in the 1970s and then I always think the 1980s is on the that's kind of when like the teen uh John Hughes stuff becomes very popular Mm -hmm. so it's almost like we shift the romantic stories to younger people Mm -hmm. and I say all that as a preface to point out how influential I think When Harry Met Sally is because this is this along with Pretty Woman which came out When Harry Met Sally is 1989 Pretty Woman is 1990 Mm -hmm. And I think those two movies in combination, the, like, artistry of When Harry Met Sally and the, like, amazing box office success of Pretty Woman, like, combined to start this massive renaissance of rom-coms in the 90s. And I think everything that we sort of, like, think of modern-day romantic comedies as being is, like, all stems from the 90s. And I think, to be honest, like, 85% of it stems from When Harry Met Sally in particular. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it would be impossible to overstate like how influential this movie is and then how influential like the whole body of meg ryan's work goes on to be like i think she and julia roberts are the two like you know initial rom-com queens of the 1990s um so i want to ask i'll get it maybe i'll get into my meg ryan stuff in a second but like what like we are going to be doing this series rom-coms are going to be a recurring theme in this series based on the actor we've chosen Mm -hmm. But, like, when I, like, what's your relationship to Meg Ryan, our chosen star of the month? I have an idea of her just being this sort of leading woman. I think growing up in the 90s, she just was sort of a name that was out there as an A-list star. But as has often been my pleasure on this podcast, on the segments that you are hosting, I feel like I have a lot to learn about her mm-hmm. actual body of work. Mm-hmm. I had a not dissimilar, like, relationship with Meg Ryan growing up, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually think as much as I did enjoy rom-coms and certainly would have caught a lot of her big ones, like, on TV. Like, I feel like Sleepless in Seattle was just one that was on TV a lot that I would see part mm-hmm. of all the time. But I don't think Meg Ryan, for me, was one of, like, my personal rom-com queens. Maybe it's just because her stuff was a little bit earlier in the 90s and just because of our ages. Like, I tended to be more of the julia roberts or then you know later into like the sandra bullock reese witherspoon katherine heigl era of rom-coms like for my primary meg ryan rom-com growing up was one that spoiler alert we will not be covering um but it was kate and leopold and the the reason we're not covering that is because it's i i would feel so bad like that's just such a hugh jackman like project i feel like we have to save that for we already gave the prestige to Christian Bale. We can't give Kate and Leopold to Meg Ryan. Yeah, I never seen that one. You've described it to me, and it sounds absolutely wild. So we have to do. We have to do a Hugh Jackman one, if only just to do 
Kate and Leopold because it is a bonkers and delightful movie. We won't have trouble finding enough films to watch in that cycle, even with prestige off the table, which maybe we'll bring it back. Who knows? So, yeah, I would say like Meg Ryan always felt like somehow of like an older generation's star to me, which really doesn't make sense because I didn't feel that way about Julia Roberts, even though they got their starts very similarly. But I think Meg Ryan is someone I really came to appreciate like post-college as I started to get more into her era of romantic comedies. And then obviously, as I started to write more about these romantic comedies, I feel like that's when I really came to sort of appreciate her skill. And I Mm -hmm. think the like, I think it's easy with perform with these sort of like America's sweetheart type performers who do lighter movies to sort of assume that what they're doing is easy because it is not the obvious work of drama of like a very dramatic performance. But I actually think turning in performances like this can be just as hard, if not harder. Do you know what I mean? Like to be this light and charming and funny, completely grounded. Like it's such a, that is such a like tricky thing to do. Technically speaking. I mean the, you know, I'd say timing is a huge part of it, but we can go on to discuss today how much like just expressivity and like physical, Mm -hmm. like just knowing how to use your body. Um, Yeah. File this under our continued conversation about how the more sort of, uh, violent and or emotionally punishing a movie is, the more we sort of esteem the mm-hmm. artistry involved in it. But I mean, I think definitely when you look at When Harry Met Sally, there is no doubt that every single department of this film, the artistry and technique and just competency on display is just through the fucking oh. roof. It's so good. It's so good. Um, okay, well, we will get into all that. I want to take a brief second. I'm going to try to make, we're going to try to like make things slightly more structured this year at Roll Calling because mm-hmm. that is how my brain works. And so I want to do, an fi- we've done this before in the past, but I, f- I want to do an official new segment, which this week at least she say? will be called, go ahead. No, I didn't want to, I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> I was just thinking of saying, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too structured and closed off. Wow, but yeah, in, hardcore. But, but there in a good some way. very relatable moments in this movie. Uh, we're going to call the segment for this week, Meet Meg. Meet Meg Ryan. Do you feel, I feel like she's one of those celebrities that just saying her first name sounds crazy to me. You mean like, like she's Meg you Ryan. You mean like saying, Chris, oh, oh, like you could, like Christian, you know who we're talking about, but just Meg. Yeah. Meg does not feel like her. Meg feels like uh, Meg from Hercules. Yeah, or Meg from Little Women. Mm, or Meg from Family I Guy. Cert- terrible or make her family yeah yeah there's some actors that are like that we're just saying their first name to me sounds crazy Mm -hmm. but we nevertheless named this segment meet meg so a little biographical background about our girl before we get into her breakout debut um but she's born in 1961 as margaret mary emily hyra wow hail hyra (laughs) sorry (laughs) she was no i loved it she was raised in fairfield connecticut with her parents were teachers who divorced when she was 15. She has two sisters who are twins and a brother. I found this interesting. She's Catholic. And yet I feel like has big wasp energy in her most famous roles. And can I can I just say as a I mean I'm I guess I'm half wasp by birth. As a person who's just sort of raised Jewish. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand what you mean by that. Uh, <laughs> they yeah. just they both seem uh, sort of Christiany to me. I guess I'm starting to pick up on those differences, but um, I mean, we can do a whole. I have like recently. I am Catholic. I recently. Well, I, I like I was born. I'm not really religious at all. Sure, I'm born Catholic. 
like some Christian, a lot of like Protestant Christians don't consider Catholics to be Christian because it's like a, such a different subset from how Protestantism that's works. That's just so, that's just so, I just, that's so incomprehensible to me. I mean, I, certainly it's comprehensible in the lens of like throughout history, people have found ways to uh, other each other and to create strata. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, I don't know. The idea of like, oh, Irish people, they're not white people. It's like, what are you talking about from the, you know? Yeah. So, there are ways in which I feel like Catholicism is more similar to Judaism than it is to Protestantism. What? Or at least certainly more so than it is to evangelicalism. I would have to learn. We could lose yeah. this is like a whole Did you other. expect we would be discussing this today? <laughs> anyway, I found it interesting that she's Catholic. <laughs> Write in, tweet at us, and see if you also find that fun fact interesting. <laughs> She graduated from high school in 1979. She went to study journalism at the, like Sally, at the University of Connecticut (laughs) and New York University. Although while she's going to school, she also is basically starting her acting career right away. And she ends up not, she leaves a semester before graduation to sort of pursue acting full time. She takes the last name Ryan because that was her grandmother's maiden name. That was which I support. Yeah. Reclaim a maiden name. Yeah, I think uh, like yeah, those grandmother maiden names are cool, and I think that's also that's a smart Meg Hira. You know, just doesn't roll off the. Well, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful name, but it's uh, you know, that's I just get the impression that a lot of you know Hollywood agents are going to be like, no, 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 give me, mm-hmm. give me something easy. Give me a Ryan. Yeah, give me a Ryan. So this I really didn't know. She ba- So she works throughout the 80s, basically. But one of her big first things was starring in the soap opera As the World Turns, which she was on from 1982 to 1984. She was part of the super couple, Betsy Stewart and Steve Andropoulos. And according to Wikipedia, the fictional couple wed on May 30th, 1984. The episode attracted 20 million viewers, making it the second highest rated hour in American soap opera history. Wow. I had no idea. I just had no idea she had a whole soap career, let alone specifically, you know, that there's, I guess there's 20 million people who would, who would say, Harry and Sally, who? Betsy and Steve. That's where it's right, at. right. <laughs> It does speak to having a sort of like built-in audience, I guess, mm-hmm. it, well before she has like her quote-unquote breakout. Yeah. It, but it's like sort of like, oh, that audience doesn't count. But like if 20 million people have an affection for this woman, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. No, absolutely. So as I said, throughout the 80s, she's working. She's doing commercials and small roles in movies. She meet, meets her future husband, Dennis Quaid, on the set of this 1987 sci-fi comedy called Inner Space. Hmm, wait, she, hang on. Is that mm-hmm. – does he – does he shrink he down and go inside Martin Mort- Short? Yes, have you seen <laughs> okay. it? I watched the trailer, okay. but I haven't seen it. I've seen it. Inner Space, yes. Wow, okay. Maybe we'll do an Inner Space sidebar sometime. Maybe. She <laughs> was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for this Sundance drama called Promised Land with Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland. Yep. That My is guy. that from the trailer seemed like more of a gritty, like that seemed like her little foray mm-hmm. into grittier drama that then does not come to define her career. I would say in this period, her like biggest role is in Top Gun, which comes out in 1986. She's Goose's wife. Have you seen Top Gun? No, I I have a suspicion that I would enjoy it. I mean, I like seeing yeah. jets fly around, but no, I haven't I haven't watched it. I, I Top Gun's very fun. I've only seen it once, but I remember Meg Ryan like being great in this movie. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it's one of those supporting performances that doesn't have a ton of screen time, but is very like impactful. Yeah, and like a real early display of her talent. Cool, as like the fun but steely wife. 
So that's showing one side of herself there. And then finally, at the ripe old age of about 28, maybe 27 while they were filming, she has her big breakout debut in When Harry Met Sally, which is the movie that we're covering today, sort of instantly makes her this America's sweetheart figure that would go on to define... I mean, I say the rest of her career. I think she's unfortunately one of those people who, one of those women in particular that sort of like her career has a very clear cutoff point, Mm -hmm. basically, when she turns 40. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the length of her career, at least so far, has been relatively short. But this is really like the defining movie of maybe her just career in general, I say. And as you said, certainly for you, it's the defining movie. So tell me more about like your relationship to When Harry Met Sally. Well, the first time I saw it, I hated it. The second time I saw it, no, that's not that's not entirely true. Don't do it. It was so uh, cute. But the um, the second time I saw it, I barely remembered it. No, no, I did. I did remember it. Um, and then you married. And it then I married. Now ago. I love it. <laughs> I really love it. Um, no, I never hated it. But I was uh, I was pretty blasé about it the first time I saw it. Uh, do you remember when you saw it? Definitely. I saw it in high school because uh, mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time showed it to me and was like, this is a terrific movie. I have to show you. It's foundational. And I was kind of like, meh, you know. Um, I, I I don't know. It was- and to that I say, Ned, what's the statute of limitations on apologies? <laughs> <laughs> I probably owe, uh, was it 10 years? I missed it. It blew right past me. <laughs> Five years ago, I should have apologized. Um, I'm sure that, uh, my high school girlfriend understands, <laughs> understands that I've, I've matured in some key ways, including my, my take on when Harry met Sally. I think that there can be a phenomenon when you first see a highly talked up movie that it just like, it just doesn't click right away. I mean, I could think of like Big Lebowski, the Blues Brothers, when Harry met Sally, Princess Bride. I think these are all top 50 all-time movies for me, top 100 at least. And those are four that right off the top of my head, I can remember like finally seeing them and being like, what's all the fuss about? Mm-hmm. It took subsequent viewings. Um, and I think that part of that can be being a high schooler. I mean, obviously some high schoolers are able to appreciate it. But as a 31-year-old now, I I just obviously like read a lot more and I just feel a lot more in my mm-hmm. guts, you know, the, the, a lot of the stuff yes, that's on the screen truth of, of When Harry mm-hmm. Met Sally. Um, and it just like, there's so many little details to it to dig into. But suffice it to say, at the time, um, it was kind of meh for me. And I don't know that I watched it again. Did I watch it sometime in the intervening time? And and change my opinion of it. Here's what I definitely know. Is like three years ago, Emily and I, former guest of the podcast and my partner and my my love. <laughs> the Sally to your The Harry. Sally to my Harry. Uh, pot- potentially, God, what is that? What does that say? We performed like a cut down 20 minute version of When Harry Met Sally live at a Christmas party. Um, from a a friend who hosts this sort of salon with entertainment every Christmas. And we just like did a number of two-person scenes, which is essentially like the bulk of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You mentioned this before, and I so wish I could see this. Like, I would love to invite you both to my house just to perform this for me. Oh, well, hey, I mean, <laughs> if you uh, if you you know put out some hors d'oeuvres, that was all it took last time. So <laughs> we'll we'll do it again. Um, but yeah, like theater, you know, it's ephemeral; it goes away. But hey, we mm-hmm. could do it again. Um, I'm sure I could find my little cut down script. It was very fun. It was extremely fun to do, and suffice it to say, the audience there of about. 30 to 40 people who were probably in their 30s when when Harry Met Sally came out, they just ate it up and were extremely complimentary. And also in watching it and then, you know, dissecting it and transcribing little parts of the script, I was like, oh, this is actually not even just a good movie. I'm sure in the intervening time I'd accepted that it must be a good movie. But then I was like, it's a great movie. And coming to it today for my rewatch, I thought maybe some of the glow would go away and and I would, you know, be maybe like a little bit less enthusiastic. But it just, it, like the prestige, it just gets better every <laughs> time you see it. It's yes. a masterwork. I completely agree and i had a very similar experience with this movie you also that, performed it at a christmas yeah, party yeah i also performed it at a christmas but how weird that we both did yeah, that huh. no i i the first time i saw it was the first time i saw it all the way through it's one of those movies that like you you have just seen scenes from it before you see mm. it right you've certainly seen the deli scene you've probably yes. seen the i'm gonna be 40 scene like it's just impossible not to have some encounter with this movie <laughs> but the first time i sat down to watch it in full was after college and I similarly was like, oh, that was okay. Like, it feels like the – it's just so talked up and, like, you watch it and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that was – I feel like – to some extent, like, oh, I feel like I've seen that before just because it did set such a template for other movies to follow. But then just as you're saying, it's a movie that, like, every single time I watch it, I like it more. And that is such a rare category of movie mm-hmm. to genuinely feel like you are getting more out of the experience yes. every single time you watch it. And I guess my equivalent of your like analyzing it for this party performance was writing about it for my column. It was the third one. I think it was the third thing I wrote about the third entry in the column. So it was like pretty early on. I mean, the column is called When Romance Met Comedy. Yeah, How long <laughs> could you have held out without doing it? True. It is kind of crazy that I didn't do it first what was first i did bridget jones which to be fair is part of my argument that like i think rom-coms can be as much about just like women self-actualization stories as they are about romance so in that way i think it made sense to start with bridget jones but when harry met sally would also have been a very sharp entry point and i think particularly in sort of like you're saying like analyzing it for that column like breaking down everything it is able to do in just 96 minutes Mm. like when I when a movie's so long and it's like, oh, we need to be long to get all of this in, I'm like, to think about how like fully realized when Harry Met Sally feels and it's 96 minutes. Like you can make things feel fully realized mm-hmm. very quickly if you are as talented as Nora Ephron is. She is obviously a big uh she's the screenwriter of When Harry Met Sally, also the screenwriter and director of Sleep in Seattle and You've Got Mail, and sort of like one of the tours of the modern rom-com genre so she's somebody i've followed a lot in the column and i think it's i don't know when harry met sally is just a movie that's like so good on like a technical like you can just break down all these things about it that are amazing but also just like it just hits you so much emotionally like 
and it never loses its power. It's so warm. It gives me such a good feeling. It gets me all misty in the end. Like even though, oh my god, it's so good. so it is so rare that I'm 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 a. I wonder where I am on the spectrum of this. I'm an, a not infrequent movie crier, but mm-hmm. it is not it is not commonly my reaction to like a romance just going well. Some mm. of my things would be old people, uh, sure, parents and children who can't communicate with each other, yeah, um, early 1900s ocean liners going down and a bunch of people dying. But yeah. there's a romance near far all. wherever you are. Yeah, exactly. But um, but it is rare that I will get misty at a sort of like I love you, I love you scene. Mm-hmm. But this one was doing it. Wow, that might be a good like categorization of like rom coms that are really pushed over the edge. Because mm. I do think that the quality you're describing of like feeling that emotional at a happy ending is the sort of thing that maybe separates a good rom com from a great rom com. Yeah. I'll put that in the next column. Great. Uh, <laughs> a little bit more detail about this movie. Released in the summer of 1989, which I find kind of weird because it feels like such a fall movie to me. A fall and winter slash New, New Year's Eve movie. movie. Yeah, I, I mean, it, that's the thing is that it it does do a whole like, you know, a year in the life kind a year. of a deal. But, kind of multiple But years. I do think because of the New Year's finale, I most traditionally associate it with that time of year. Yeah. Uh, this movie is directed by Rob Reiner. In this kind of insane run of his career, of his directing career, where he made, in the run up to this, he made This Is Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, and The Princess Bride. That's a then run. Then he does this. And then he does, I forget the next order, but it's like Misery, and A Few Good Men, and An American President. Like his, this like era of Rob Ryder's career is just absolutely insane. And and as previously mentioned, this is written by Nora Ephron. I think it's like her third screenplay and sort of really launches her, like I said, as an auteur in the rom-com genre. Can I interject with a, a fun game that I played this summer? With When I was on a road trip with some of my college roommates, we, we played this game of trying to think of directors who directed four great movies in a row. And it's actually- I just saw somebody tweet about this. Really? Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. I missed- As a prompt. I missed my opportunity to go viral with that, because we were <laughs> playing it back in back in June. But um, yeah, it's it's harder than you think, but- Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally. No doubt. Those are four yes, absolute there is bangers. Another, there's another um, John Cusack rom-com in there. Oh, oh, I'd oh. I never seen, so I didn't list it. Oh, I see. Okay, Let's see. okay. It's called see, The Sure Thing. Although I think people might like that too. But, but is it a great movie? See, that's the, that's the problem. A lot of people, you're like, oh, they've got three great ones, but they got one so-so right in the middle. Okay, but you can do Stand By Me, Princess Bride, One Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. That's five. Totally. Absolutely. That's five Reiners. Yeah. Reiner. What a king. So what I would love to do, Ned, mm-hmm. if you don't mind, can you, like for people who either haven't seen One Harry Met Sally or haven't seen it in a while, would could you give us a little bit of a plot synopsis here of this perfect 96-minute movie? Oh, I'd be happy to. Well, first, the first time they meet, they hate each other. No, I didn't. So I, what's the statute of limitations on repeating a joke? Um, so let's see. It is, I mean, the, the plot is, in essence, pretty simple, which I think is one of the mm-hmm. things that makes it work. It is not a rom-com that is structured onto like a story about a, a bet around the world or like a, there's, there's yeah. not all this other stuff in there. It is just, if you had to truly distill the plot, Two people know each other for a while and eventually fall in love. So specifically, mm-hmm. they meet as two graduates at the University of Chicago 
who have never met before, but because of a uh, mutual, his girlfriend and her friend, she agrees to drive him cross country and they just talk in the car and uh, have a couple extremely fun sort of debates, including sort of most famously uh, Harry's contention that men win- men and women can never be friends because the sex thing gets in the way. Um, and they kind of have a, <laughs> a humorously hostile relationship from starters. Mm-hmm. Again, you get a little bit of that oil and water thing. Beatrice uh, and Benedict, exactly. yeah, for sure. And they arrive in New York, shake hands, and go their separate ways, never to meet again. And they cross paths again five years later in an airport where at first, where he recognizes her but can't place her. She says, thank mm-hmm. God he couldn't place me. And we spent 18 hours in a car five years ago. And it was one of the longest nights of my life. Um, but then they're on the same flight and they chat a little bit more. They sort of continue. He tries to elaborate on the his rule, but then has to mm-hmm. add amendments and pulls it back. She yeah. is currently dating this guy, Joe, who is a really funny little bit character. Um, and uh, he's engaged. He's engaged. Uh, and so they sort of go their separate ways again. She says, we're not doing this. And then they both walk down the uh, moving walkway for a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, great and again another just like a little relatable moment and then he says you just keep walking i'll wait here (laughs) and then we go five more years Mm -hmm. in which they are both still living in new york and they reconnect uh they happen to run into each other at a bookstore and at this point they are both on the rebound from ended relationships he has gotten a divorce she has uh broken up with joe and uh, this time they become friends and they sort of then – I hadn't realized this until this time, until this last viewing, but they then spend a year in a life together. We basically go mm-hmm. – Even more maybe. Even maybe like closer to two years. Yeah, I guess because it's summer then. So it's somewhere like, you know, coming on two years, we just sort of follow them as they become close friends, get to know each other better, try to encourage each other through other relationships, none of which pan out. They see each other through thick and thin. Eventually, she calls him in distress because Joe is getting married. He comes over. And to make a long story short, they do it. Um, (laughs) They did it. Uh, They have an amazing four-way phone call. There is a very awkward post-coital energy Mm -hmm. in the air for about three weeks. They have a fight. She won't talk to him. She takes his call. And while they are spending New Year's Eve apart, he is walking the streets, catching up on his window shopping. She's having a miserable time. And he realizes then that they need to be together. He runs to the party. Well, I am like smiling just by hearing you describe the, the just ending like the, of this movie. Yes, he runs to the New Year's Eve party. She's like, you can't just come here and expect me, expect us to fix everything. And he says a number of things. Most critically, I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible. And even though she wants to hate him, she cannot. I hate you, Harry. I really hate you. And then they kiss at New Year's and we learn in an epilogue uh, when they're sitting on a couch. Because through this all, we've seen these really sweet old couples talking about Mm -hmm. how they got together. And we end with 
uh, Harry and Sally talking about how they get together and the wedding they have and their cake and how they put the chocolate sauce on the side because some people like the chocolate sauce on the side because it can make <laughs> a cake quite soggy, particularly with a coconut cake. It really soaks up all this chocolate. And <gasps> that side is very big for you. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that it ends with that discussion of the sauce. It's so good. It's so good. It's so much better than ending it with like, I, I sort of remembered it as being like an I love you thing that ends the movie. But yeah. that's just like, it just really is like, it is so much better than a title card that says, like, and they remained married mm-hmm. for 40 years. It's like you just have them sitting there in the place of these documentary-style, like, lifelong mm-hmm. romances. And it's just so sweet and tender. And there's so many God, so good. incredibly good bits along the way. And so, so many lines of dialogue that should be preserved in a shrine for brilliance. Yeah. The way they are written and the way they're delivered. It is like truly so this so this is like one thing that really becomes clear in the like research for the behind the scenes stuff of this movie is like how collaborative it was. Oh like that's even nice. the the origin of this movie was that Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron just like wanted to work on something together. And so like in the mid eighties they had this like I, I will share it in the show notes because it's so cute. There's this video that Efron and Reiner did, like probably sometime in the two thousands. It's just them like sitting on a couch chatting about the making of the movie but it has the energy of like the little married couple interludes like he'll be like we did this in 1984 she's like no no no, it was 1985 and he's like and then i said this and she's like you didn't say that you said this and it's just like their energy together is so endearing that is so cute a big part of that is so so they have this meeting to try to come up with something to work on and i think reiner pitches one idea and efron doesn't like it and then he's like well i kind of want to make a movie like he had been, he had gotten divorced from his first wife penny marshall and had been single for a long time and he was just interested in this idea of like oh. friendship and divorce and dating and and like just had all these ideas rattling in his brain and was like nora does any of that appeal to you and she's like great and she sort of immediately had the structure that you so perfectly laid out where it's sort of these like multiple meetings along the way before we get into like the actual meat of the movie Mm -hmm. and to make the movie happen she ends up just interviewing so Nora Ephron was a journalist before she was a screenwriter and so she's sort of like putting these journalistic skills to good use to she interviews Reiner she introduces uh she interviews the producer whose name is Andy Scheinman uh, just sort of like about their lives as single men. And Can then I she's ask a question? Mm-hmm. Just because it is sort of on the palette for the movie. How old are they at this point? Do you I know? I think they are, I think Reiner's in his 40s for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not sure if Efron's younger or older. This does bring me to the other fact I discovered. Did you know that Billy Crystal's 13 years older than Meg Ryan? Whoa. Isn't no. that crazy? <laughs> so he's like, you said she's like 28. So he's like 41. Yeah, there's wow. something like late. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't look exactly like a college kid, but wow, that's older. I mean, I know it's crazy. I guess it's just we've di- we've discussed the, the like the Hollywood age gap is built in so 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 deeply. It's such an entrenched institution that I think we're almost like it's hard to recognize a point. We I just maybe agree. believe like this is what a man looks like and this is what a woman looks yeah. like. You're like actually, oh, yeah, you're like they went to college together. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's loony. It looks like Efron is like six years older than Reiner. So he was probably early 40s. She was like mid to late 40s, mm-hmm. maybe. Great. And so she, the sort of, the influences they were pulling from, so they're interviewing people, they're interviewing Reiner. The sort of, like the way Reiner always phrases it is basically like he is Harry and Efron is Sally. 
mm-hmm. the point where like the way Sally orders is sort of how Nora Ephron would order. And they really? were just at a restaurant and she was ordering like that. And Rob Reiner was like, you have to put this in the movie. Like this is hilarious the yeah. way you're doing this. I personally think like, I think that that's a very neat way to organize it. But like also by this point, Nora Ephron had been through two divorces, including like one very horrible acrimonious one. And mm-hmm. I think she also has this really like biting, cutting sensibility. So I have to imagine like, you know, it's not like, oh, she only cared about the Sally scenes and Harry's all Reiner. Like, I'm sure she had a lot of Harry in her as well. And yeah, that, my the- friend, is a dark side. <laughs> what well, he has some line where he's like, oh, the nice thing about being depressed is at least you get your rest. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh yeah. out loud. And the other big influence is sort of the Harry-Sally friendship is really modeled on the Rob Reiner-Billy Crystal friendship. Oh. Like the watching TV together in bed on the phone was something that Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner would do. What? That is cute. So they're sort of pulling from that. I think Crystal was a huge like influence on shaping the script and sort of making Harry as funny as he is. And on, it, in this interview, it almost sounded like Billy Crystal, like half wrote the final monologue. The like, mm. I, like they said he came up with the, like, I love the crinkle in your nose. line. I was just like, going to say, there's something about that line. Cause it's like, there it is right there. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. think I'm going to write that into a script, but like being there, seeing her working with her, I can imagine. I had that same thought about that line that that's very interesting to know that that is actually true. Yeah. And they said that they shot the ending like three different times because they couldn't get the, like, they just couldn't get it right. And then wow. finally they did, you know, the one that they have. That's the scary um, feeling after those first I two know. times. You're like, we I don't know. have it. That's a terrible feeling. <laughs> and that's a big thing not to have. But this whole thing is so, it's so nice to hear that it was such a collaboration between people because that's just, that's so like my dream for my life mm-hmm. is to be able to like make good art out of the relationships I have and just work with. I mean, every Every film I've made so far has been based out of, like, people that I wanted to, like, work with and what I could, you know, what I thought they were good at. And I just I just really believe, like, that's such a good way to get magic stuff on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's been a necessity for me, but I think it's it's just really nice to hear, like, that is what gave us when Harry met Sally. For sure. And that includes, like, Ryan's contributions, too. So I think, like, I think the most famous scene in this movie, although I don't think it's necessarily the best scene, but I think the most famous scene is, like, the Delhi mm-hmm. orgasm scene. Yes. Which originally was written to just be, like, a discussion mm-hmm. of faking orgasms. And then they did a read-through of it, and it was Meg Ryan's idea to be like, oh, she should just, like, act one out. And then Reiner was like, oh, we should set it at a diner because that would be hilarious and weird. And then Crystal, Billy Crystal, came up with, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> and then Rob Reiner was like, I know who we should cast to say that. My mom. <laughs> so that is his mom, former oh, actress man. Estelle. I think her last name is also Ryder, who says that line. So like talk wow. about the ultimate like collaboration to make the most iconic scene in the movie. And while maybe I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, it's not it's not the best scene because because there are greater scenes, but it is fucking funny as it hell. It is good. It is really it is, good. I, it's iconic for a reason. It is just a hysterical premise hysterically and full like so well executed and so committed to and the fucking punchline on it is like one of the best vaudeville punchlines it's 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 a great scene no doubt yeah i mean it's one of the most famous movie lines ever probably yeah do you know what i love so much about it though it's like the way it's the way meg ryan switches out of it to yes. just eat her little pie yes it's like it's, it's so in like good. a millisecond she's like she's like coming out of it and the fork is like going into the pie and then she's like up it's yeah just yeah yeah it's it's like talk about what a great piece of acting that maybe is not necessarily always like 
talked about in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Leo DiCaprio doing The Revenant or whatever it is. Oh, we should absolutely. If he, if him lying in the snow and her having the orgasm in a deli, you know, that's <laughs> that's just people going there for their craft, okay? I mean, you're not wrong. Um, okay, last little fun collaborative fact I'll throw out. So the interludes with the the older couples mm-hmm. are they're actors that are doing that but the stories are all based on like real life stories that efron gained by like interviewing people throughout the production office mm-hmm. and then they sort of transform them into these really sweet interludes that i think sort of like there's something about this movie that feels very specific to this story of harry and sally but also branching out into this wider look at just like love yeah. and relationships in general and i think those interludes are a big part of it totally and i also think the soundtrack's a big part of it it's all these like old big band frank sinatra songs sung by a then young harry connick jr and it's like if this movie had had just like an 80s soundtrack it would feel so much more dated but yeah. they had this like great forethought to give it this timeless sound yes yeah, the old the old couples really do make it feel kind of old in a way. You're right. It's really those two elements make it feel kind of like of the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s as much as it is of its era. I mean, they're mm-hmm. like we still see it as an 80s movie. It's the 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 fashion, the hair, the like you know, sort of cultural discussions that they have. But quiche but it pesto does, is the quiche of the 80s. Yeah. What is it? What, what's the? It's the restaurants are to people in the 80s what theater was to people in the 60s <laughs> yeah. i I've wrote never that. quoted anything from a magazine in my life I, 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 oh, I love that's such a cute scene such a cute relationship so much for us to talk about but yeah the old people interludes that doesn't surprise me to hear that it's that it's true stories told by actors because they're so mm-hmm. cleanly delivered and like yeah. a little bit larger than life but they have that they just feel emotionally authentic What's your favorite one of the old people interludes? Mm, I think I like the one that where they're laying out all the ways they were like born on the same street, mm-hmm. born in the same hospital, and lived in the same building, and da 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 da. And then they, they all this in New York, and then they meet in Chicago. And he's like, yeah. "I wrote up, you know, I was nine on floor two, floors. and she was thirteen. Yeah, nine extra floors." And the way she's just like nine extra floors. Yes, what I love you? that one. Uh, I love that one, but I think it's the one. It's the one where uh, they were both camp counselors. And she tells the whole story, and she, except for she says, he came up to me and he said, I'm Ben Small of the Coney Island Smalls. <laughs> and then she says at the end something like, I just knew I just knew about him. Like, you know about a melon. That's just so funny yeah. to me. The other one that's like, I assumed that he was crossing the room for what my friend yeah, Denise, because everybody was always crossing uh, rooms for my friend. Like, yeah, that exactly. Talk about an Efron line. Like, I don't know if somebody mm. said that exactly verbatim for it, but the idea that, like, everybody was always crossing rooms for my friend, and then, like, somebody crossed a room for me. Like, the idea of, like, crossing a room for someone as a romantic gesture is just, like, so good. And there are just so many little brilliant lines like that there i just feel like what we're not gonna be able to do today is get to every single line in this movie that i could go on about for 15 minutes about what makes it smart but Mm -hmm. it's things like that yes i agree like my immediate instinct is like let's just quote every line (laughs) that we love yeah but there are probably do that and it's also not even just the lines it's like the delivery i was trying to figure out why this movie feels so rewatchable to me and i think it's like 
You know, other than I'll have what she's having, they're not necessarily traditional punchlines. And I think that's why they like stand up so well and hold mm-hmm. up so well, because it comes from just the delivery as much as anything else. And yeah. the, it, the delivery often feels so alive that it will, it still feels surprising, even if you've watched this movie mm-hmm. a dozen times as I have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's it has a style. It's, it is authentic, but it's not naturalistic. It has a style that like, at times, like veers almost to like slapsticky vaudeville. Mm-hmm. I think it's like the cab, the like the these like the two conversations on their sort of like disastrous double date about mm-hmm. like don't make a move on her tonight. Okay, I, I understand. Of course, I wouldn't tonight. And then he says, "I gotta get a cab." She says, "I'll go with you." And they just fly into a cab that zaps out of there and <gasps> oh then leaves God. the two Harry and Sally standing around. Okay, we. Ha- like, I know that this is a Meg Ryan episode, but like sure. we just have to say that Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. As Marie and Jess are like, a two of the best supporting performances ever, and also be like such a lovely romance, like genuinely a really romantic subplot in this movie. And it's really great to have that kind of like in the background. I think it's it's also partially. I mean, I you know I'm on the side of having been in a relationship for a very long time, but like what it does socially to have those people like in your life, and yeah, they're just individually. And as a couple, they're so wonderful. I mean, talking about slapsticky things and like vaudeville things, like Carrie Fisher selling the, you're right. I know you're right. Mm-hmm. Like three or four or five he's, times. He's never going to leave her. He's never going to leave her. <laughs> of course, he's never going to leave her. You're right. I know you're right. The other bit I love is she has that Rolodex of like single men that mm-hmm, she's trying mm-hmm, to fit. Mm-hmm hit um set sally up with yeah and she finds out one's married and you would think the gesture would be to rip up the card like oh he's married i'll take him out and she just so folds funny. the corner like i'll leave that one for later and we can circle back around to that and folds it down <laughs> that is so funny yeah God, it's also what a good carrie fisher performance it's great things like that and the fact that like they're both post-relationship it's like it's a it is interesting to hear that this is a post-divorce movie for Reiner mm-hmm. and for, if you say, and for Efron also. Yeah. Tw- twice divorced. So, because I don't think of that as one of its defining characteristics, but looking at it now, I'm like, yeah, it's totally about people who are like, it is not about young love or like, it's not about, it's definitely not like about Romeo and Juliet love. This mm-hmm. is about people who have like been divorced, been through the ringer, like done it. They're in their 30s. It's the 80s. They're cynical. Yeah. They meet as young people and it is just like not working. <laughs> and yes. then they, it takes till they've like been through these relationships that they like come back and make sense for each other. And this is, I think, actually an underrated or an under-discussed element of what makes this movie so good mm-hmm. is those first two segments we see where they're younger yeah because i think that and this is like such a performance thing like i think both meg ryan and billy crystal do such a great job of playing the younger harry and sally totally like we see them at like 21 22 we see them about 26 and then we see them you know 30 31 32 Mm -hmm. and like the earlier performances like they're both so pretentious and annoying (laughs) both of them yes and you see how that softens in different ways as they are as they get older into like the version we spend the most time with but i think because we spend so much time with the 30 something versions of them like i'm almost a little surprised whenever i rewatch this movie like at how sort of obnoxious they are in the beginning i think that's so well observed yes she is just like she's got in the way that feels, and again, as a high schooler, how was I supposed to have the perspective that I now look back? Exactly. And I'm like, that is so funny to have college kids, to have him saying like, 
I love you to this girl, like with no, nothing behind it. And then Sally is like, she's, she's got everything figured out, but everything in the world flusters her. She mm-hmm. <laughs> like every single thing she like has to like take a moment and like process it. And his like, yeah, like that, my friend, is a dark side. It, it It's <laughs> so obnoxious. Yes. It's and like that so I'm going young. to formatively yeah. describe my dark side to you to mm-hmm. like, to show you how cool I am. Boy, is that, if that isn't college boy in a nutshell i don't know what the fuck is is. so good okay ned can i also point out Mm -hmm. that the span of time that this movie covers in Mm -hmm. their lives is basically the span of time that you and i have known each other or been friends because i feel like you and i really we didn't really become friends till senior year of college like we knew each other that's true but i would say that that was when we really became friends and now we're both in our early early 30s i mean obviously our like we have been friends that whole time as opposed to this like weird little mm-hmm. five-year jumps they do. But, but it's it that same think, level of growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was like. How different am I from who I was when I was like 22, 21? Great question. I don't know. How different do you think I Do you think I'm different? <laughs> yeah, generally. Gosh. I mean, I'm just trying to like put myself back in like. I know. Go back to the summer of 2011 when we like had all those fun parties. I know. And, like, what were we like? I don't like to do it that often, particularly because I'm like, because it's hard to look at your own obnoxiousness. I think it's yeah. important and valuable, you know, to do that. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. There's times with you where I think that I will sort of be mentally thinking of you as I first met you. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, Ned will do this goofy thing. And I'm like, oh, no, that was like, what, 21-year-old <laughs> Ned did. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean that 31-year-old Ned is... Yeah at that same level of goofiness but we still have a lot of those same things in us and i think Mm -hmm. you know the traits that i mentioned of like harry or of sally like trying to like get a grip on things but then also being surprised by the world and of harry having this sort of like studied cynicism that like he can't that is like true but also like can't be maintained those Mm -hmm. things as you say like they remain with them they just soften in the way that as you grow up you're like things just get softened away and they mature yeah. totally. And I, I think you're totally right. Like the mannerisms. Yeah. Her like 21 year old to 26 year old to 31 year old, the mannerisms are different. We, we've sort different. we've cited this for Christian Bale playing different ages. I forget if other people, you know, maybe like Dev and David Copperfield, I don't really recall, but, um, but like, it's a really impressive trick to age through a movie and to convey that, real life thing of like you are exactly the same and you've completely changed and that's Mm -hmm. like growing up and in a way i think they do it so subtly like the subtlety is great but it almost i think people could like miss out on it a Mm -hmm. little bit or i feel like the first time i watched this and maybe it was just because i was younger but like i think i missed out on how purposeful the arc is of like how Mm -hmm. much they grow over that first like half hour yeah and it's i think that that's the sort of thing that I don't know. I have this theory that sometimes people watch romantic comedies like kind of passively. Like they go in thinking, like, oh, mm. this is fluff. I don't really need to pay attention. And because they go in with that mindset, like you can miss the artistry of it because you're assuming it's not there. Yeah. And I think that the way that those like performances they both do really prove like how much thought went into yes, laying all, all that out. And the way all of it like comes back again. And I think mm-hmm. there's this very realistic sense of like what they remember and what they don't Mm -hmm. like when we see them around 26 she can't remember what her friend the name of her friend who he Mm -hmm. was dating was and she that's so believable right that like somebody that when you were 21 you were like this is this person is so important to me Mm -hmm. and then 
five years later, you're like, what was their name again? Yeah. And then she remembers it. And then when he can't remember it, she like calls him out like, how yes. could you not remember yes. her name? Yes, really funny. And the way that like uh, we see a conversation that she says, you said this. He goes, I didn't say that. Yes. Yes. Yes, I did say that. But it's not, you know, like that is also, you know, when you're like part of long-term relationships with people, I mean, definitely in all my friendships and certainly in my relationship with Emily, there are constantly times in which it's like, I didn't say that. I didn't put that mm-hmm. thing there. Did I? And it's like, well, we, we're not a movie, so we don't know. But it is definitely part of life that two people can look back on something and just have these different memories. The same with the Casablanca thing where she is yeah. so adamant at 21, like, well, not staying with Humphrey Bogart was the right choice. And then yeah. late at 31, she's like, I, why would I have said that? Would I never would have said that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great little detail to put in in a movie where people age 10 years to be like, people just sort of passively forget or rewrite their own memories. Something that I definitely, definitely believe that like, our our culture treats memory like it's much more reliable than I actually mm-hmm. think it is. I think it's actually mm-hmm. like deeply unreliable, but, but everybody kind of lives in this shared fiction that like, if you remember something clearly, it must have happened that way. Mm-hmm. Nora Ephron gets it. And to me, that ties into... Like, I think this movie is pitched and remembered as being the movie about, like, can men and women just be friends? Which, like, is obviously a topic the movie is hugely centered around. But mm-hmm. I think that the, the like, philosophical black and white nature of that question really comes from 21-year-old Harry more mm-hmm. than it does anything else. Like, to me, the movie is not as invested in that question as, like, something we need to definitively solve as much as, like, this is something that 21-year-old Harry thinks is very black and white and then that, like, 31-year-old Harry... It just gets more, it becomes less like, can all men and women be friends? It's more just like, okay, what is my actual dynamic with Sally? And like, yeah. we just need to solve the specificity of that less yeah. than like lay out a philosophy of life. And I think the key is that like the f- finale feels like it settles all the points it needs to and it doesn't actually acknowledge that runner at all. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of has served its purpose to be something for them to discuss. And frankly, like, I now sort of view that conversation as being essentially like just a form of uh, it's philo- it's philosophizing, but it's motivated by flirtation. So mm-hmm. it only needs to serve the parts of the first two thirds of the movie before they have ever like actually gotten romantically involved with each other, and then it's kind yeah. of it's it's not it's not really Less key, important. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think like what the movie is getting into in the part where they're actually friends, it's like. It's less about, like, will sex get in the way and more about, like, what is the nature of this emotional intimacy that we have with each other Mm -hmm. that we're sort of relying on? And, like, is that healthy or unhealthy? Like, should we be seeking that in other people? Like, I think those are the questions it's raising that are a little bit less, like, annoyingly binary and Mm -hmm. I think more truthful in, like, how different people can be, like, different stand-ins for elements of your life Mm -hmm. and, like, how messy that can be. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then we see like when you know the, they have a sort of like a the breakdown is about like uncomfort or discomfort with the idea, you know he kind of bolts because it seems so they have sex and then he bolts because clearly he is made uncomfortable by the idea of committing is what it feels like mm-hmm. to me. That's my sort of read of mm-hmm. it because it takes time for him to come back and be like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and like that is the mm-hmm. sort of like resolution of his his sort of like central flaw or, or struggle there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's an interesting, like, I mean, through it all, because I don't know, and you have like, they have, 
that's another thing where Jess and Marie are like really important. Like those are valuable friendships to them, but there's like sort of sex going on. Between, I don't know. It's it, it, it all feels like it's like relevant ideas, but that I, I agree that like, it is not accurate to say like, this is a movie whose central dramatic question is, can men and women be friends? I don't think that's it. I guess I'd say the central dramatic question is, can Harry and Sally mm-hmm. like figure out how to be in a relationship with each other yes yes and what do they want that relationship to be yeah they're so good together like as much as i'm so happy to talk about this movie from the meg ryan perspective like i mean billy crystal is so good this is an all-timer performance for him yeah i mean so good and like so hot and i would not describe billy crystal as a person that i just like inherently find hot it's like all in the performance it's in the performance it's in the deadpan line deliveries of you Mm -hmm. know see what i did i didn't let it lie i said i wouldn't i didn't i went the other way i mean even when he's obnoxious like there is as the younger version there is a level of like charm there he's like a hot cocky guy and it's it's interesting because i feel like Maybe I'm wrong about this era. I mean, I have this, uh, you know, Albert Brooks, I feel like, was the star of rom-coms. And, like, that mm-hmm. to me is just, like, another sort of, like, normal Jewishy looking guy. But he feels to me like a non-traditional – I mean, he certainly is no Rock Hudson in terms of yeah. type. Um, but, yeah, he's hot. It's also so the costume. Good. He's costumed very well. Just yeah, to shout out like to the – high-waisted pants oh, with yeah. the tucked in, like – but he has shirts. so many outfits in this that I would just kill to wear. What are you singing, Oklahoma? <laughs> He's just like, I just love that scene in his outfit. And, and he puts his little kids up on the up so on the. <laughs> it's so funny, and then how horribly wrong it goes that like mm. the worst time to be singing Oklahoma mm-hmm. in a, it's a great sharper scene. image or whatever great is scene. when your ex wife comes up with her new boyfriend. And just yeah, these little details that he like the time exactly he goes when your eyes will pop and he like does this thing with his eye and right mm-hmm. in that moment that's when he sees helen and he freezes and then sally just like takes it and runs with and it she, she's and she, like, terrible she keeps going she keeps going <laughs> she's singing like you know fully like a measure ahead of the song and her voice and then she goes oh it's my voice and it's terrible i know <laughs> so funny so much there's a real like wistfulness to their older performances i think like they're Mm -hmm. young like they are kind of like broken people right like they're he's coming off a divorce from like maybe six years of marriage five or six years of marriage and like presumably dating longer than that Mm -hmm. she's coming out of a five-year relationship and one of the like ryan meg ryan scenes that really stood out to me this time that i feel like usually doesn't is when they first meet up again when they're in their 30s, after they meet at the bookstore and they like realize they both coming out of relationships mm-hmm. and they go to get coffee or whatever. Yeah. And she has this monologue where she's talking about how like originally she and Joe were so in sync and they didn't want to have kids and they wanted to have these like fun bohemian lives. And then she's talking about taking her friend's daughter out for a day out and they're playing I Spy and the daughter like sees a man and a woman with two kids and she says I Spy a family. Mm-hmm. And the way Meg Ryan is delivering this of like, her this like crushing realization she has that like what she thought she wanted with joe 
is not what she wanted and that in bringing up what she does want that will like almost certainly end the relationship is like so sad and beautifully played and one of the like rare times before we get into her like eventual very funny slash sad breakdown Mm -hmm. like everything else in between is her very much being like everything's fine like everything's fine this was for the best logically this makes sense i don't need to dwell on the sadness of it whereas harry is like all i want to do is dwell on the sadness of it and moan Mm. (laughs) (laughs) but that i that like i spy a family monologue it's like we see that core of sadness there that we know is sort of like the undercurrent of the rest of the performance. Yeah. And it's just such a great monologue. That's so interesting you mentioned that because that exact scene is the one today where I was like, where I it really struck me that the performance ages up. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this is really, this is not the same 21-year-old or 26-year-old person we've seen. Like we are clearly looking at someone who has that just like, I'm into my 30s world weariness. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's funny for us to like, it, it, I would be curious like how we talk about this movie in 15 years and you know, but like yeah. at this exact moment, <laughs> right. we're in our lives where we're like, we're, <sighs> we are in our 30s. We are living in the city and just like figuring things out. And, and I think we do recognize that like, that sort of, you know, uh, beaten down melancholy that can just be a part of you even when your life is full of happy moments that you mm-hmm. just carry around. Talking mm-hmm. about it now, I'm like, it's very sexy. I don't know. There's <laughs> something about the whole... The vulnerability the whole... of it? Well, yeah, and just like the maturity of it. Yes. In the way that they... like, like as a as a 20-year-old, thankfully, as a 20-year-old, nothing was sexier to me than a 20-year-old. But as a 30-year-old, nothing sexier to me than a 30-year-old. I mean, <laughs> than, I'm a, like, than a world-weary... World-weary 30-year-old. And hopefully when I'm 40, I'll be like, there is nothing hotter than somebody who's just been doing this shit for 40 years. Than Meg Ryan and Kate and Leopold. Is that like when she's 40? I think she's about 40 when cool. she did that. Cute. Which also then was basically when her career was over. So oh, thank God. you, Hollywood. There is a certain like... There's... When they're in... It's like there is the, there's that oil and water quality of the first two meetings because they're not in the same place emotionally. And then mm-hmm. there is something that like there's such an equal brokenness to them mm-hmm. when they're in their 30s that really does like lend to that compatibility. Like they're so at ease when they meet again in the bookstore and then in, they're all of a sudden having this very like vulnerable conversation when before they could barely like have two seconds of a conversation without fighting. Yeah. Now it's like they just immediately like get right into how in sync they are yeah the fact that it goes right from bookstore i forget what the line that ends it but one of them is just like what are you doing right now and then it just Mm -hmm. cuts to them at this like separate location having coffee together that same day and that's kind of like that's like a major inflection point in the movie because you could look at as like three tries like at 21 like do these people work together no and then Mm -hmm. at 26 they meet again it's like do they work together no and then at 31 they meet and it's like they, because as you say, they've both just, they're now both on the other side of these relationships. They just immediately like, where before, kind of like multiple times, I guess a, a, another runner of the first two times is he kind of propositions her one way or another. Mm-hmm. Maybe he doesn't as directly at 26, but I feel like he kind of bothers her and she's kind of like, dude, leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. And so the fact that like, I think it's probably him who proposes coffee at 31 and that Mm -hmm. they just go right to that you're like something has changed in him and in her and now now we can go somewhere with this and that's the beginning of their friendship 
Yeah. Oh, God, it's so good. And then they, like, their chemistry together is just so good and charming and, like, easy. Mm -hmm. I love this, the scene when they're at the Met and he's, like, doing the silly voice, like, Mm -hmm. wait, wait, there, there's too much pepper in my paprika. I would be pleased to partake of your pecan pie. (laughs) Which he just did. He did that on set and she wasn't expecting it. There's Uh a little, Reiner has said that there's a little moment where she kind of, like, in the scene, it reads, like, oh, she's just looking around to, like, see if anyone's gonna notice them doing this silly thing but mm-hmm. in real life it was her like looking at to reiner like do you want us to do the scene like this do you want us to do this and so they kept it because it was just very Damn, charming so... and like her reaction is so yes genuine like her like laughter at her it laughter yeah i mean it, uh, like a runner of our podcast me saying i want more silly voices in movies <laughs> true they're like, I love the silly voices we got in David Copperfield. I think I texted you. We didn't talk about it, but I was watching Succession season two and I got to, mm-hmm. I was like, this is a great, this is one of the great silly voices scenes. This is like, I think the iconic silly voices, characters doing silly voices to amuse each other scene. It's so good. And so, un- yeah, as you say, just like it, the, 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 the reactions are like light and authentic and they feel impulsive. And then the way it shifts to he's like, do you want to go to the movies with me? And she says it back. He's like, no, no, not to repeat the answer. And then it like, it's it's the first moment where like, oh, things get weird. Because yeah. she's like, well, I have this date. And like, I didn't know how to tell you about it. And he's like, yeah. oh, it doesn't, you can tell me. It's not a big deal. And it's like the first moment that they're like forced to mm-hmm. confront. The like the nature of what is their relationship. And they play it off very casually. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, of course, I'm happy you're on a date. And like, they both go on dates and it's fine. But it's the first like little inkling. And then the next one is... The first New Year's Eve scene that, like, that's when we kick mm. off the, like, full year in the life segment. Yes. But they're, like, dancing and they're, like, oh, we're just friends dancing. Mm-hmm. But then you see both their faces as they're turning and, like, they're processing. Just, like, shit's getting real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that shot where they're rotating around. And so one mm-hmm. at a time, just by the mechanism of dancing, one at a time, you see each of their faces as the thing shifts. And it's, like, totally um, unguarded because they can't, from the way they're positioned, dancing cheek to cheek, they can't see each other. And you just watch things shift. We, you know, so much of what I have talked about so far has been like dialogue because the dialogue is like brilliant. But they're also like these kind of things like live and die on these like unspoken moments where something transpires. And that's, you know, that's what film is for. And it's something I, I remember um, processes of working on my own scripts when I've given them out for feedback. And one of my writing challenges is that I just tend to like overwrite you know I just have like a page and a half scene where the characters basically explicitly say what their emotional conflict is and I'm always getting back the note being like can you find a way to do this in a gesture instead of in Mm -hmm. like 10 lines of dialogue Mm -hmm. and you have so many great moments of that in here and I think it's one of the things that like you know as we've said a couple times it's cool to watch a movie with the assignment of like, let's follow the acting of this one person that you maybe haven't before. Because I think, frankly, I probably will have focused more on Billy Crystal's acting choices before. And that might just be like a vanity thing of like me attaching to the person, to the character who is most like me. But getting to watch like Meg Ryan's technique through this, one of the things I thought was so striking is how much she can like be transparent with her face like that she can convey she just does such incredible face acting in this movie mm-hmm. conveying these like i think the ones that stand out the most are moments when she's like 
as I say, like startled or in a state of consternation and like can't process something and has to like, she kind of like furrows up her brow as, as is cited in the end of the movie and like tries to understand like how, what is changing in Harry or what is changing in her. Uh, and they can happen like very quickly. There are just so, so, so many of them. But that scene where they're like dancing around is definitely one where you get to watch her be like, what is happening now? And it's Mm -hmm. it's just great. And I think that those can be the little things that if you are the type of person who's like, I'm going to throw on this rom-com and half pay attention to it or sort of like be on my phone while I'm watching it. If so much of what makes this movie work is the silent visuals, I Mm. think those are the things people can be most likely to miss. Yeah. But I do think that the, that's another one of those qualities that will really separate, like, a good rom-com from a great one. Mm-hmm. And I think there's two – there's this writer I love. She's a great Twitter follower named Alana Bennett. And she has this thing about how, like, for a rom-com leading man, the most important thing they can do is have what she calls the look. Like, the ability to look at the leading lady with this sense of, like, love Ooh. and desire. Yeah. And, like, that's all you need. Like, you just need someone to look compellingly and that is – doesn't it's more important than like any dialogue you could ever give wow and i think crystal 100 percent has that here has and look. i would also add to alana's theory that i think for rom-com leading ladies a lot of times like one of the most important and endearing qualities is like how you react to other people like confessing their love or telling emotions to you mm-hmm. like i think we do tend to have rom-com it's more common in a rom-com to have the guy do the big like monologue or grand gesture or whatever that the woman has to respond to mm-hmm. and i think that the ability to respond emotionally authentically like that must be such a hard challenge because you have no dialogue and the one i think that is the pinnacle of this outside of when harry met sally is in the wedding singer my favorite romantic comedy yes. you have the like incredibly endearing adam sandler song down the airplane that Robbie Hart's singing to Julia. And like the song itself is so great, but what makes that scene is the is Drew Barrymore's face. Like her it's like she is so happy. Like you've just never seen anyone happier than this like realization that she doesn't have to marry this horrible guy and like <laughs> Robbie is there. It's like the song is good, but it's her reaction that makes it. And I think there is a similar thing with when Harry met Sally with like his big, you know, and it's not because I'm lonely and mm-hmm. da, 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 it's, yeah. it's her reaction to it, like She's, like, angry and she's annoyed, but she's, like, flattered and it's so good. And then similarly on Crystal's end, the part where she's, like, I hate you, I really hate you, I hate you. Like, he smiles the third time she says I hate you because he knows. He knows. She doesn't mean, like, he knows that when she's saying I hate you, she means I love you. Mm -hmm. And, like, his little smile and his, like, I'm not going to interrupt you to, like, clarify what you're saying. It's, Mm -hmm. like, we both know what's happening. I just need to give you a second to get there. Yeah. It's all so good. It's so good. Wow, I love that. I love that theory of the look and the and the being looked at, the reaction. That's that's great, and that's a, such a good runner to watch for. Yes, and if you think of something like I would say, like Colin Firth in the BBC Pride and Prejudice is like maybe the prime example of like <laughs> he's just like looking, just looks. <laughs> looking at Lizzie, and he's like she's helping my sister at the piano. Like I am in love with her, and I do think it is very consistent for what makes a rom-com 
just like what really makes it work oh i'll be keeping my eye on that for sure yeah. you've definitely given me a that's like when someone says oh I, well you know that song but have you ever like tried listening to what the the guitar is doing <laughs> mm-hmm. now i'm gonna be like well, i'm looking for that look <laughs> yes look out for the look and i think this too like as the rom-com sort of got more like i mean i guess it was always a commercial art form but like as it got more formulaic mm-hmm. i think in the 2000s I think a lot of times sort of like studio execs would miss – they would be like, we just need a hot guy in there. Yeah. Like, you know, like just put a hot guy in. But I think as Billy Crystal in this movie proves like the sort of like objective societal agreed upon hotness of someone is so much less important than the performance. Totally. Like I think so many rom-coms in the early 2000s were just ruined by they just like put a generic hot guy in there and he was not good. Mm-hmm. And like you, you need somebody that can act – the love more than you need somebody that looks like a chris hemsworth or whatever you know totally and crystal is like a prime example man yeah that's uh this is this is giving me a lot to a lot to think over (laughs) and i just like i feel like as i said before i feel like i'm sitting at the foot of the you know the rom-com master so uh so maybe maybe that's an uncomfortable phrasing but um i'll take it yeah take it Okay, other – I'm just going to kind of, like, list other scenes Some I like. Things. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, the Pictionary scene is the single funniest scene in movie history, I feel like. Baby, baby, baby fish mouth. That was – oh, that was my other thing that I was considering at the intro. I was considering saying, I'm Ned Baker and I'm baby fish mouth. Baby fish mouth, truly nothing will ever be funnier to me. The way he says it and then he says it again and he gets so – he's like, baby fish mouth, baby fish mouth. <laughs> the end when they find out his baby talk he's like baby talk that's not a thing and crystal's like oh yeah but baby baby fish mouth that's a thing okay. and the annoyance and they're like oh that's my baby yes sir don't mean maybe it's the most accurate depiction of what it's like to play games yes. that you are both deeply invested in and also realize are so stupid and you're just kind of making fun of it while you're playing so it. many of those little things that it's like they took a just a detail from life this is another thing that i like i so admire and i so want to do is like movies can't just be the main thing and characters can't just be their main thing characters become really great when you stick in these other aspects of them and like a romance movie can't just be things scenes that are about their relationship every now and then you just need like pictionary you know mm-hmm. to give you more or the goofy voices of the men yeah 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 it's just yeah it's great and you know or watching casablanca and yeah. uh well we we've talked about uh billy crystal and meg ryan and we mentioned carrie fisher and i will just circle back one more time to say bruno kirby is great who is he so good. where is he i only know him from this and the godfather part two He's great in this. He's so funny. He's so good. You're telling me He's Mr. So Zero good. knew you were having a divorce before you did? A week before <laughs> you did? You made a woman meow? Yeah, he's great. Oh, then they're batting cages. I, I always want to go to batting cages every time I see them in a movie. They do it this is in a the, common rom-com guy activity. Big sick. Kamal and his brother, they go to batting cages. Yeah, there's usually, I think rom-coms often like a, like a sport moment. Uh-huh. And if it's not basketball, it will be batting cages. And do you think, do you think, is that another thing that like you have movies and then you have When Harry Met Sally and then suddenly you got to have a sports moment? Hmm. That's interesting if that trope originated here. Like, because I, like we got the batting cage. We also have them at the Giants game. Mm-hmm. With the wave. The, the wave, wave is, is great. so, the way they keep doing the wave while he's just like talking about yes. his brutal divorce. Again, again, layering something. You could just 
and and a lesser movie just puts them in a ballpark. But this one has the idea they're at a ballpark, and every 30 seconds they have to get up for the wave. Yes. Which I feel like was maybe a Billy Crystal suggestion too. I, I, at least that was another suggestion from somebody that was like, how can we take this and like plus it great. more? Great. Another great scene that I think is that you mentioned before is the like phone call, the like four way phone call. Oh my God. Un- unbelievably. <laughs> you have Jess and Marie in bed. This is right after Harry and Sally have slept together. And so they're respectively calling their best friends. Mm-hmm. So the way they did this scene. Oh, yeah. I know. Had, I'm so curious. How did they? They had three sets going simultaneously uh-huh. with like working phone lines or some ability to talk to each other. So they were filming it all at once. So they're actually Because there's the no cuts. Yeah. Like the timing of it needs to be perfect. And basically like a play where it's all in sync. They did it. Reiner said that they did it basically like 60 times to get the final take that's like perfect because it's just like the the rhythm pattern of it that's so much but i'm like in another hand i'm like i'm surprised it wasn't 120 times it is Mm -hmm. talk about all the elements of a movie firing on all cylinders that is like the the like the 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 way it's shot the way it is written the way they all handle the lines again a moment that's like larger than life just oh my god it is it is an unbelievable top-notch scene I I guess I I I don't know how I, I was sitting thinking how how do they do that? I guess I can't think of any other way to do it besides to have like working phones and a bunch of rehearsal. But damn, is it is it funny? It's so satisfying, and there's so many good little character beats in there too. And a little bit, you know, I do think the movie's a little bit like men are like this and women are like this. But I think one really good example of that is when they're both hanging up. And, like, they've both been very kind phone calls. Mm -hmm. But Jess is like, well, call me if you need anything. And Marie says, I'll call you later to check on you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what a difference between, like, what they're both being very caring to their friend, but the level of, like, well, you reach out to me if you need anything versus, like, of course I'm going to be calling you later and, like, checking in on you about this. They they have two different takes there, but they also both say, you want to come over for breakfast Mm -hmm. at the same time? And they have to look at each other like, the panic, which is just, like, (laughs) extremely funny. And I do think it's, like, that's, that's, like, part of the philosophy of the movie is, like, it's both men and women. Uh, they're fundamentally different. They're also fundamentally mm-hmm. the same. It's like you can be friends. You also can't be friends. Like sex is not an important thing. Sex is also everything. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, it, it like it doesn't feel like it just like picks these issues and like throws its weight to one side. It just like mm-hmm. throws them all into the gumbo and you just yeah. Which taste probably it all. is coming from that collaborative nature mm-hmm. and from that like we always have a force to counterbalance. Like you have a, fe- a female writer and a male director and then a female male stars. And then, I mean, like I'm sure Carrie Fisher did a lot of plusing of the script too as she was like famously known for doing. So Oh, was she? You I didn't d- know just, that. Yeah, she was like a big script doctor throughout that was like, like a part a of her huge part big of her chunk career. Of her career, yeah, Damn. including I think on the wedding singer. Although I'm pretty sure the script doctoring she did did not actually get used in the final production. Huh. Anyway, she yeah worked on a lot of scripts behind the scenes. Oh my god, R.I.P. Incredible, forever, incredible icon. Yeah, absolute icon. And yeah, so I just think it's well balanced in terms of like the voices you're getting totally in all of these moments. Totally. Another scene yeah, what else? What else? that I love is the whole like wagon wheel coffee table mm-hmm. like as a source of Harry having a meltdown. Yes. <laughs> sequence. Yes. And then the fight that follows with Sally. Yeah. 
You said you liked it. I was being nice. (laughs) And something that in these behind the scenes sort of discussions, there's a Harry kind of freaks out because he's just run into his Mm ex-wife and yells at his friends and then freaks out. And Sally comes out and she's like, you need to like figure out not to how to how to not express all of your emotions when you're feeling them. Mm -hmm. And Rob Reiner said that was something he used to do a lot. And that Nora Ephron was always like, "Okay, you don't like you can keep some things inside. You don't need to. express everything and another shout out i want to do is to friend of the podcast manish mother and his show it pod to be you i know that they did a one harry met sir he did a one harry met sally episode a while ago and i remember on that episode i'm pretty sure this is where i heard this that he was he was talking about how in that scene it's like harry and sally get into a fight and then at the end harry is just like can i say something i'm sorry and Manish is just saying, like, that feels kind of rare that in a romantic comedy, there's just like, you have a fight and it's not like, oh, then we go away and we resolve it later. It's, it's a big thing. It's just a guy being like, oh, yeah, what I did was wrong and I'm just going to immediately apologize mm-hmm. for it. And like, what a gesture of like vulnerability and love that I think is so simple, but. And yet so rare. And yet so rare. Yeah. Spot yeah. on, Manish. So that scene really stands out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because we even do have the like, the like awkward period later on. Later on. But it's just. Every time we see those things, I mean, I don't think we need, I do not think that every moment of every movie needs to be held up to the lens of modeling good behavior. Mm-hmm. But that is a nice one in terms of being mm-hmm. like, yeah, sometimes you can just admit that you were wrong about something right yeah. in the middle yeah. of the argument. It's okay to do that. And yeah. it like just shows how much like trust there is between the two of them at that stage of the movie when they're like and really- And how not, much he's yeah. grown. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, like, 21-year-old Harry was not going to admit he was wrong about anything Anything ever. at all. No. Okay. Other The other... I'd be curious to f- hear if you feel the same. Mm-hmm. I think the best scene in this movie... Well, I guess other than the ending. Mm. The best scene in this movie and the best Ryan performance moment is the her like break her like emotional breakdown after she finds out that Joe is getting married to someone else. I I don't know that I can disagree with that. I mean, I I, I should think for a second. I, maybe some snappy dialogue scenes would just be something, but 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 that scene is unbelievably another like beautifully well executed. And you're right; it is definitely like she is fully on display. I just don't know how a a crying scene. The note I had in my thing is, how could a crying scene be funnier and more relatable than this? Like, is it the best crying scene in cinema history? Maybe. That's my question. Maybe. God, okay, that would be a fun list. Like, the best crying. What are some great tears in movies? The but- only one I can think of that, like, rivals it is the end of Sense and Sensibility. Emma Thompson has this, like, crying choice she makes that is uh-huh. incredible. And it's a similarly, like, both funny and emotional moment mm-hmm. that kind of reminds me of this one. But, like, certainly in terms of, like, funny crying scenes, oh, yeah. I feel like you can't beat when Harry met Sally. No, no. It's, like, it, because it is, again, with, like, thing be, things being both, something that I admire, like, a lot of things can switch between their modes fast. But when you can just be, it is it is so relatable and so satirical mm-hmm. at the same time. And that is, I think, like, that, like, satire should never just be, like, well, I mean, if you're if you're satirizing like you know, cruelty or injustice, then like just just punch away. But when you're like, I love when satire of just like human foible and just like human 
mm-hmm. what we are is like is loving and ribbing at the same time. And that performance of what it is like to be in distress over a relationship is so incredibly funny with so much pathos and so many little t- like just the like the runner her just walking around and like blowing in a tissue and just doing these like weak weak handed little like throws over her shoulders like all over the place. I almost just like want to break it down line by line because I yes. do feel like every Go ahead. performance choice Meg Ryan makes is like incredible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a when she, he first comes over and he lets her in. And like he is also he's so nice. Like that is the night that is the kindest we see Harry in the whole movie, totally. which like only makes it funnier because mm-hmm. usually their dynamic is like he's a little bit more uh-huh. like prickly. Yeah. But like he's just he meets her with nothing but kindness that whole time. That also feels real, just to say, because there are people whom you are constantly messing with, but when you see them in genuine distress, like that all goes away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's just so good with that. Mm-hmm. But so and the the first thing that made me laugh in this scene was when I don't know. He just comes over and he's like, oh, what's going on? And she, her, the line is like, I need a Kleenex. Mm-hmm. But she says it like she's like mad at him or as if she, I don't, I like was trying to <laughs> listen to this a bunch because I don't think I can do the line reading, but she's like, I need a Kleenex. <laughs> like she yells it at him. Like it is such an irrational thing to yell. And he's just like, okay, we'll, we'll get you one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that really made me laugh. Also, the way she says in in terms of the funny parts of it, she's like listing all of her bad qualities, and she's like this, and this, and she goes, "I'm difficult, I'm difficult. <laughs> I'm too structured. I'm completely closed <laughs> off, but in a good way. I'm difficult. Yeah, that really made me laugh. And then like the part where she's like, I thought he just didn't want to get married, but he didn't want to marry me. Mm-hmm. Is like genuinely so heartbreaking. Yes, again, and that yeah, when the uh when he says like, would you if you if you if if he said he loved you right now, would you take him back? And she says, no, but why didn't he want to marry me? Yeah. <laughs> and like collapses God, back. it's so good. And then the way she goes, he, he, okay, well then you have what I think is the best slash most relatable line in the whole movie. Uh-huh. Which is? Which is her, I'm going to be 40 <laughs> moment. <laughs> when? <laughs> Someday. Someday. <laughs> eight years. <laughs> Truly, like, I don't think I've ever seen a more relatable <laughs> Just like concept, yeah. Well, that's in my life. Again, talk about us, us being a, only able to see this through the lens of being the age we are right now. And like, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm literally 32. Absolutely. So I, yes, it's coming like a dead end. <laughs> eight years away. Eight years. And then she says, like, it's different for women than men because Charlie Chaplin had kids when he was in his 70s. Mm-hmm. And then Harry says, oh, but he couldn't pick him up. Uh-huh. And again, she makes Meg a Ryan good starts point. Laughing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the laugh, and then immediately into. goes into crying from yes. the laughter. Yes. Yeah, that. Yeah, like that's that's just like one little shot that has so much so much comedy in it. Her like laugh into cry, and it's, it's so good. it really strikes me the way that um that so much of the comedy also. Is just in like having a camera pointed at the actors and letting them do their thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's not a bunch of like, I don't know, contrived prop comedy. There's not like a bunch of like quick cuts. There's just like funny people on screen getting the space to be funny. And that is just very special and cool. Well, and it maybe is the perfect blend of the dialogue all feels like a play 
And yet I think they are very smart about where they put them in New York to make it also feel very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Like I think the imagery in this movie, like them walking around the Met or them walking around Central oh, Park. And that fall. Like it never feels stage bound. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But the dialogue, like what you and Emily did, like it does feel like you could very easily turn it into a play. Mm-hmm. But the movie itself is not one of those movies that just feels like a play. Yeah, yeah. God, so much in here that, you know, as is often the case with these podcasts, particularly when it's like a movie I especially, especially love. There's going to be so much that afterwards I'm going to be like, oh, I forgot about the, I forgot about the scene where they're arguing at the wedding. And she, as Emily pointed out, she's like, did you notice that she just yeets a... An hors d'oeuvre into the wall. I was like, no, I hadn't noticed that. And I like scrolled back and she does. She's she's gesturing at him with an hors d'oeuvre and then she storms down the hallway and just throws the hors d'oeuvre into the wall. A great scene, great dialogue, great comedy. And then she slaps him in the face. Yes. Great. Which great is what I thought you were going to say. Oh, I love that too. I like the way this movie does... I like the way it has them hook up as like a weird little roadblock. Like I think a lot of times rom-coms, it's like... They can't kiss until the final scene. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the structure sometimes. But this structure feels more, like, believable, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, less fairy book. Like, this is a kind of like a fairy tale romance in some ways. But, like, there's little ro- – the roadblocks feel more realistic than they do in, like, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Where it's like, I'm writing a magazine article and pretending to be this. Well, I'm <laughs> trying to get the diamond account, so I'm doing this. And, you know, like, the I, in one of the interviews, Nora Ephron, I think – or maybe this was a video essay I watched – Somebody was just talking about how the, the con- there's no, like, external conflict. This is not, like, a rom-com where it's, like, things are getting in their way. Yeah. The only thing getting in the way is themselves. Yes. It's not – that. that is what – I think that's a reason why also it, it can feel very, as you said earlier, like, extremely loaded in 96 minutes is, like, the lens is just always on their interpersonal. And mm-hmm. other things come in which give it that, like, realistic texture, which I talked about, but it is – you say it's not really about other plots in their lives. Like it's just how are they evolving as individuals and together? Yeah, and um, in the in the Nora Ephron Rob Reiner interview, she said that he really gave her permission to be like, we don't need to have scenes where they're just like talking about their jobs. Like just assume they're talking about their jobs in the scenes we didn't film. Like that they, there's other parts of their friendship other than talking about romance, but like. That's what we're focusing on here. Good advice. And Nora Ephron was like, oh, that was such a like gift because she's like, those things are kind of annoying to write because then you have to keep threading them throughout. But like no one actually cares about it. You're just kind of doing it for no reason. Damn. So she said it was a real gift to just like, yeah, just focus on what you want to focus on and just assume that the rest of the world building is there. There's a real piece of sage screenwriting advice somewhere in there if I could distill it into something about like, that shit you think you need to put in, you do not need to put in, and yeah. no one actually wants it or needs to see <laughs> yeah. it. Like, we just don't need to see his consulting job and have him have, like, a boss that he has to deal with. We don't need it. Right. Fuck it. Leave yeah. it out. You don't need it. And I think the performances are so good that the characters, like, feel three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really without do. Without that. And probably feel more three-dimensional than they would if they had the, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, the scene where I'm frustrated at work. Yeah. I mean, we've mostly talked about, like, I feel like there's one or two more things we could say about the ending, but is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we should talk about? I mean, truly just every scene. <laughs> uh, uh, the way that the way that Sally, this is in the Met scene, but after he says, like, you should wear skirts, you look good in skirts, she gives him this look that I was just like, good lord, to have Meg Ryan look at me the way she looks at him there. <laughs> 
holy God. I just like, I just immediately turn into, I don't know, leaves and blow away or something. It's just, it's just she's so dreamy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They both are. Yeah, she is really like, just so like cute. She's extremely cute. Like cute in like a little like, I don't know, like she's not like... <laughs> Just like touch a little button nose or something. Like she's just so like adorable, but yeah. not in like a twee way per se. No. Like she does feel like a real person that exists in the world too. Yeah, it's there are things that we have like cited and analyzed and like unpacked, but there are also things, just like alchemy things, that I don't feel like I can consciously say about why like so many of the things this movie does. You can see people try to do almost the same thing, and it just does not mm-hmm. work as well. It is like. There are things that I still don't feel I can rationally express that are brilliant about this movie. Yes. And I think in a way, this movie kind of like screwed over the rest of the rom-com genre (laughs) because it did this so well that then everyone else is like, well, we can't just do that again. So it has to be he's doing an identity for the diamond account Mm -hmm. and she's doing an identity for the magazine. It was like they felt like they had to do a new angle. So the new angle couldn't just be like two people that meet and then fall in love. It had to be more heightened yes and because i think that this is like so perfect and came so early in the sort of renaissance yeah that like nothing could quite top it no and if i look you know i recently did uh, i got letterboxd and i made my like 100 favorite movies Mm -hmm. i wonder if i have i can't remember where this is but i wonder if i have a rom-com above it I kind of I mean, I do love, like, my favorite, as I said before, my favorite rom-com is The Wedding Singer. Mm -hmm. But I actually think The Wedding Singer, what that does is that almost similarly has a very low-key, just, like, friends start dating Mm storyline. But the, like, hook is all this, like, 80s nonsense around it. Like, I think that movie was very smart to be like, let's do the ridiculous comedy from the setting, but actually the central romance is super low-key and casual in the way that Harry and Sally are. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another smart choice. And actually, one of my other favorite rom-coms, Love and Basketball, uh-huh. does similarly does the like time jumps, like here's them in multiple points of their life. I think that's a really nice way to do a rom-com because it gets rid of the like, you know, and maybe we can compare this to the the later Meg Ryan rom-coms we're going to do, but it gets rid of the false like, oh, they've only known each other for a week and now they're in love thing. Like you're like, yeah, they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. Like they should be in love now. It feels very earned. It doesn't feel like they're like rushing into something. Yeah. I have Tangled above this on my letterbox list. I'm looking at it now. Oh my god, Tangled. But <laughs> but I don't know. On reappraisal, I mean Tangled is is a masterwork. I mean anything in these anything in these top 50 is like I would I would die for this film, you know. <laughs> but yes. uh but yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh god, we have to do Tangled sometime in our Mandy Moore series. Uh-huh. So let's wrap things up by just a little more chat about the ending because yeah. I think it's so good. And I think the thing that I love about it most, like, this is a very, right, this is, like, the most stereotypical rom-com image is, like, someone running to get somewhere Mm -hmm. to get to the person they love. Yeah. But what I love about this one is, like, there is no reason he's running other than that he, like, loves her and he has to run to, like, express that love. It's not like she's leaving and I have to stop her from leaving. No, it's not an airplane is taken off or anything. Yeah, it's not traveling. And it's not even, like, he does wind up getting there right before midnight, but that doesn't feel like that's why he's running. It's like he's just walking. And then as he's walking, he's like, I love her. And then he's like, I love her. I need to be with her immediately. And, like, that 
energy that fuels the running is like so romantic. It also feels, this is not stated explicitly, so this could just be my layering, my thoughts on it, but it, it feels like that part of aging when you like, you feel your life going by you. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, as he says, like you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. There is this sort of like goofy logic of being like, my life is running out. I can't even walk there now i have to be there as soon as i possibly can and it's like the urgency i hadn't really thought of this until you you sort of mentioned that but the urgency that he feels just from like an existential place of being like i can't let another minute go by when i suddenly realized how big a hole this Mm -hmm. has this is in my life yes and i think i think when harry met sally is frequently and understandably discussed in relation to like Woody Allen movies like Annie Hall, where it's sort of like a softer, more romantic take on that like neurotic mm-hmm. archetypes of, of Allen's movies, which is probably true. But I also think it's like when Harry Mattelli is also pulling back to like earlier rom-coms as yeah. well, like old Hollywood rom-coms. And I think, I feel like I've seen this discussed less, but I'm pretty sure that the running is like an exact homage to the end of the apartment, which is this Billy Wilder sort of rom-com, rom-drom from the 60s or early 60s, late 50s. And it also ends with somebody running like on New Year's Eve. And I'm pretty sure like Mm. the running is the same, like the way it's filmed is the same. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. And it's pretty subtle and like it doesn't really matter if you notice it or not, but I think it's a nice like way to put the movie in conversation with sort of like the genre as a whole. Mm -hmm. So I like that about it. And then just like everything, I mean, we've already said, but like everything about the crystal monologue is perfect. Everything about Meg Ryan's reaction to it, that I hate you is so good. That like the the countdown is going on in the background and they're totally insensible Mm -hmm. to it. Like the first time, the first New Year's party they're at, like the countdown is going on and it's like this huge ticking clock and they look at each other and they're like, let's get outside. And then like this time it's just going on. And, like, the transition from one year to an X, like, transpires with everyone, like, out of focus in the background. And they just, like, they are just completely, like, z- like locked in on each other. That is a very good observation. And similar to what you said before about how the ending with the, like, goofy discussion of cake is a really nice undercutting oh, yeah. of the, like, romanticism. Mm-hmm. I also think similarly it's, like, they kiss – they're so happy. Uh-huh. And then he just starts talking nonsense about like, what does this song mean? Like, yeah. does it mean this and this? And there's some rambling and it's like so comfortable. Like, it doesn't feel awkward, but it's such a believable thing. It's like, well, you got to talk about something now that like, yeah. you don't just kiss and then, yeah. you know, a lot of movies, it's like there's one kiss and then it's the end. But like, mm-hmm. after you kiss someone, you just then there, genuinely together, have to talk to still. them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And she just. And it's, it's not, it doesn't deflate it, but it like adds that touch of like low key Realism yeah it. and it's like this is them in their mode they've just like every again everything has changed but nothing has like they're mm-hmm. still ha- gonna have the same like modes they go into but the relationship has changed now because they have like you know accepted that they want to be together yeah and, yeah and her little line about i don't know but it's about old friends and it's like oh and that is kind so of good. that kind of more than being like it's a movie about can men and women be friends or like with sex. It's like it's a movie about two people who are old friends in a sense for a long time and mm-hmm. then they have a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They I think in the original drafts or the original idea was that they wouldn't end up together. Oh, and in a way man. I think like Efron has even said she's like I feel like that would be truer to this story. Mm-hmm. 
I think initially they would. decided to have them get together for like more commercial reasons. Mm-hmm. But then there's this lovely thing where Rob Reiner, who had been divorced for years, ends up meeting the woman he would go on to marry while they were making this movie. And he said, like, meeting her and falling in love with her, like, reaffirmed his decision to end the movie on a happy ending. Oh, I like that. And there was some, this was an interview from the AV Club, not something that I did, but that somebody else did with Rob Reiner. They asked him about, like, in the original version that the characters were going to not be together. And he was like, yeah, because at that time I couldn't figure out how I was going to get with anybody. So I just had them walking in opposite directions at the end. And then I met the woman who became my wife during the making of the movie and I changed the ending, which is, like, very sweet. I have I have so much respect for movies that are like we're not gonna give you the happy end. I mean, like there are great movies, but man, are they a gut punch! And man, would this movie not have like been what it is to so many people? Like it's such a mm-hmm. comfort movie, I think, to so many people through so many like challenging times. It just wouldn't have been able to be that. It would be like, oh yeah, it was one of those sort of like sad, cynical eighties mm-hmm. rom drom coms. And instead, it's like, oh, man, is this a warm blanket? Yes, yes. I think it was the right choice. Like, I think it's it's a perfect warm blanket. It's a a genius warm blanket. (laughs) Well, it's like what we were talking about at the beginning. Like, it's okay that the superhero movies end with, like, the superheroes winning, right? Like, it's okay to give people what they want. Like, if you do that well. I fully believe that as well. Yeah. Things don't have to be, like, realistic in the grim and gritty sense. They can be a little bit realistic in the fairy tale sense. Because, yeah, probably, like... Yeah, exactly. Like, probably 90% of people who are in the situation in real life are not going to end up together. But, like, let's make a movie about the 10% where it did work out for them because don't we want to think about that? Let's not pretend that it doesn't do something powerful to us to see it dramatized this way, even if it doesn't feel real and we know it's not real. And, like, you know, so so fucking what? I mean, and I don't even mean to, like, be blasé. I mean to say, like, yeah, and that that is a worthy intention for an artist to choose to do. Yes. Well, choosing the positivity and the softness over the gritty negativity can be the valid artistic choice, even if our culture tends to reward the- Totally. Totally. The gritty side. Oh, what a perfect movie. I'm so excited. I mean, I do- I'm excited to do the rest of the Meg Ryan series. I do think we've kind of already peaked with this one. (laughs) But there are some some lovely things on the docket as well. So I'm like looking forward to that. But I do think, for me at least, like it's just hard to top when Harry met Sally. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to top, which is fine, you know. That's uh, that's that's how it is sometimes. But uh, there's nothing wrong with us loving when Harry met Sally. Uh, yeah, this movie was nominated for a best original screenplay for uh, Nora Ephron at the Oscars, and Meg Ryan was nominated for a Golden Globe. I would say this is one of those movies that was like very well, like well received when it came out, but was a little more like, oh yeah, that was like that was Another good, but fun, like we've yeah. probably seen it before, and now obviously has emerged as you know one of the all time. so the next thing we're gonna look at in meg ryan's filmography we're not we're not going far because it's literally the next movie she made Um, oh wow (laughs) spoiler alert for this series i think i said this before we're gonna stick with the familiar angle of meg ryan's filmography rather than making some really out there choice so you wouldn't probably not well maybe it would be hard to guess what we're gonna do this next one might be a little bit of an oddball choice but it's uh john patrick shanley's very quirky romance joe versus the volcano which is the first weirdest and i would say most underappreciated entry in the trilogy of films that meg ryan made with her next on-screen love interest tom hanks so have you seen this one before ned joe versus the volcano no and i'm so excited i'm sure there's a lot of weirdness in store the weirdness began 
15 seconds ago when you said John Patrick Shanley, who I did not know <laughs> wrote this movie. I know only like the like above the break Wikipedia summary of like the general mm-hmm. premise. I do not really know what I am what I have in store. Although it is a romantic comedy, it is a very different take on romantic comedy than when Harry met Sally. Yeah. I think it's a sort of like I would put that in the cult classic side of mm-hmm. things. So that I guess will be a fun and sort of like quirky one for us to look at. Yeah. And then there will be more romance on the horizon. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, as we're wrapping up here too, I just wanted to say thank you to one of our listeners, Bucko, for writing in with like an incredibly thoughtful, kind email that Ned and I were just thrilled to receive. Um, so thank you for your kind words. Yeah, much Again, appreciated. As we always say, truly. if you'd like to reach out, you can email us at rollcalling at gmail.com as Bucko did. Um, it is very nice to hear from yeah. people because especially now that we're back, we're hitting the grind again. And it's nice to feel like we have some people listening to yes. the random musings that we put out into the yes, world. Yes, it is really nice to get that feedback. If you hate the show, please don't give us feedback because honestly, <laughs> I have a thin skin and I can't shrug it off. But uh, but um, we, if you have something neutral to nice to say (laughs) we'd love to hear it it can even just be i listen to your show it is all right (laughs) i'll take that anyway but thank you so much bucko for writing and uh thanks everyone else for listening you're all great Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy, and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Roll Calling, and you can email us at rollcalling at gmail.com. That's Roll, R-O-L-E. Next week, we'll be back with Joe versus the Volcano. Until then. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in Casablanca married to a man who runs a bar. You'd rather be in a passionless marriage. And be the first lady of Czechoslovakia.